Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. I'm Kim Grenolds of Dogman.com, and uh, time for another edition of Dogman Radio with special guest, the newest member of the national recruiting team, a recruiting analyst uh, for the national area of 24-7 sports, former director of player personnel, I believe was the title, Cooper Patagna. Cooper, what's the difference between head of recruiting, director of player personnel? Are those just all titles? Do they mean anything? (laughs) It depends who you ask. I think uh, anywhere you go, they'll, they'll have different responsibilities. But uh, no, I, I don't think so. I think that's all, all semantics. Not just a matter of uh, does one include more pay than another? <laughs> if, if I knew that, I would have been asking for that title long ago. Trust me. You're a kid from Louisiana. You went to LSU. How'd you get into this business, Coop? Yeah, well, um, you know, I didn't work uh, at LSU as I studied there as an undergrad. And um, long story short, my uh, position coach in high school when I played football down here in New Orleans had worked his way up as a strength coach at University of Alabama. And when I graduated from LSU in 2014, uh, he was one of my few contacts. And I connected with him and he said, hey, I have an unpaid internship at Alabama working in the weight room. Uh, no, you want to work in recruiting, but this is where you can start. And then it's all on you from there. So fortunately, um, position opened up in, in recruiting, uh, at Alabama at another internship. So I spent the year there in, in 2014. And, um, you know, once, uh, things got a little tight financially, I came back home and was uh, fortunate enough to, uh, start an internship with, with LSU just to keep my head above water. Uh, long enough to find a full-time job and been bouncing around ever since. See, we like to ask the hard-hitting questions here. You know, as a student at uh, LSU, uh, what's your best Tigerland story? <laughs> well, shoot. I mean, there's there's a couple. I mean, you know, it kind of grew up there. I mean, it was funny. Um, probably, probably in high school, not even in college. I went to go visit my brother who was at LSU at the time. But, um, I mean, I think at Tigerland – Really, at the end of the night, you, you just hope you make it home in one piece. But uh, no, it's a it's a good spot. <laughs> we uh, I had to pick my son up from Tigerland, but that's a whole nother story. But uh, definitely an interesting place down at LSU. And for anybody listening to this podcast, if they get the chance to go to a game down in Baton Rouge post game or pre game. Definitely hit Tigerland, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're laughing a little bit. Hey, you also uh, were at Cincinnati for a little bit. Our uh, good friend of mine was is the offensive coordinator there, Mike Denbrock. Did you have a chance to run across Mike at Cincinnati? I did. So he came in. I was there 15 and 16, um, and Denbrock came in uh, on the back end of that. So when Luke Fickle came in, I was there a few months before I took the job at Michigan. Uh, but Dim Brock was there along with Marcus Freeman, who's now the defense coordinator at Notre Dame. And Coach Fickle brought in a great staff, was fortunate enough to 
to come across him. But Mike Denbrock certainly one of the more under underappreciated guys uh, at his position in the country. And just a great dude, too. You've been around some really good coaches down at LSU. You were um, at Alabama. You were at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh. You were at Washington with Chris Peterson. What makes uh, Luke Fickle different than those guys and what makes him special? You know, I think he came in with a unique perspective. Uh, I think coming in, uh, having that experience at Ohio State, I think people forget that he was an interim coach there uh, and why that program was going through a little bit of turmoil. But you know, he came in with a vision. Uh, he was very organized from day one, knew exactly what he wanted to do, uh, knew exactly what they wanted to do from a recruiting standpoint uh, in terms of where they wanted to recruit, what areas uh, they wanted to target. It was it was very impressive, one of the more impressive guys that, that I've been around, uh, but there wasn't a wasted second in the day um, and knew what his program was going to be built on. Um, so I've always had admiration for guys like that. You were at Michigan with Jim Harbaugh, and uh, wherever Jim seems to be, it seems to be a little bit of, I don't know, uh, circus atmosphere, like a rock and roll show. Uh, what's the atmosphere like with Jim Harbaugh? And maybe give us a little bit of it, you know, things that people don't know about Jim Harbaugh, maybe a little bit of misconceptions. Yeah, Coach Harbaugh, you know, he's he's a different guy. That That's no shock to anybody um, with me on here saying that, but um you know, I think he's passionate. He's passionate about the game of football. He's got a unique perspective, obviously playing in Michigan, played at a high level in the NFL. And that's just a football family. I mean, those guys are football junkies. Obviously, his brother John with the head coach of the Ravens and his dad, Jack, uh, who's certainly around the team. Uh, and that's definitely the guy they, they take it from. But, um, you know, he's, he, he's, a, he's a different bird, but you enjoy being around him. And like I said, you enjoy his passion for the game. Um, I think, you know, that obviously they got off to a great start there in Michigan. And since then, they, they've been trying to figure it out. The good, good thing about that place is it's an unbelievable brand, blue, blue blood of, of college football. So uh, definitely all the ingredients are there uh, for them to get back to where they need to go. Um, so obviously big game for, for Michigan and the Huskies week two of the season. You got to give us a couple places to hit when we're in Ann Arbor. If Husky fans want a burger, sports bar, beer, where are they going to go in Ann Arbor? Yeah, good place is Black Pearl. You know, we didn't get out much in, in Ann Arbor, but right there on the strip, that's a good spot. Also, good bars, mash. Uh, they got a couple underground spots over there. Cool, cool little town. Um, you came to Washington from Michigan. Tell us how that happened with Coach Pete. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. I was standing uh, in about uh, probably about a foot of snow uh, when I got a phone call um, from Coach Pete. And, um, you know, it was, I, being in the industry, you'd heard all these wonderful things about Chris Peterson. Uh, you know, obviously Marshall Malkow was a guy that started his career at Alabama, worked for Coach Pete. Um, you know, so we kind of had that connection. Uh, and I talked with him and he said, if you have the opportunity to go work for him, uh, you need to do it. And I'll never forget what he said to me. You know, he, he's going to make you better in terms of what he can do for your career, but he's going to make you a better man. Um, and I always remember that. And, and those words are certainly true and a lot to be thankful for. What's Coach, what's Coach Peach really like? I mean, if you had to describe him, I know it's tough, but, uh, you know, just talk a little bit about Coach Pete. He is a uh, true one percenter, and I mean that like a, as an elite human being. Um, you know, it's crazy, but the type of football coach he is really, in my mind, kind of takes away from the true person he is. He's he's unbelievable, one, but he's he's challenging, he's demanding, um, 
in all the right ways. Uh, but he does it uh, out of place that, you know, he cares. He cares for the people that he works with. Uh, that's important to him. You know, the hiring process is probably uh, the most intense of anywhere that I've ever been. Um, so in terms of the personnel, it doesn't matter where you are on the totem pole from top to bottom. Um, that matters to him. The people in the building matter to him. Uh, and I think he just has a special way of getting the best out of everybody and understanding that the way that I motivate one person might not be the way that I motivate the next. Um, so he's an unbelievable person. He's certainly the type of person that you want to be surrounded by. And I was fortunate, you know, like when I took the job at UW, I was, I was 25. Um, so it was my first director job and, um, it was just a great experience in terms of learning, uh, from a career standpoint, but as a man, I mean, there, there's no better role model for me than, than Chris Peterson. Just your own personal opinion. You think, you think he ever gets back on the sidelines again? Uh, you know, I think that's a, that's a loaded question. You never say never, but if it was me, I would say no. And I agree with you. I, I think he's doing what he wants to do. So uh, we've heard, I think he likes being out on the water on his boat. <laughs> <laughs> I think he does. You know, he loves, he's passionate in, in this whole thing, not just about coaches, coaching and the X's and O's, but he loves teaching, you know, and I, and I think uh, that's something that he's really enjoying is, is being able to kind of cast his net a little bit wider and um, be able to, um, broaden the spectrum in terms of the amount of people that he, he can be exposed to. I know he, he loves that part. All right. Jimmy, Jimmy Lake and uh, Chris Peterson, they both have their boats starting at coach Pete's house. Who winds up at Husky stadium first? <laughs> both competitive, probably Jimmy. I think Jimmy's got a little bit, a little bit more horsepower in that boat. And what would the conversation like be afterwards? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if there'd be much one. They're probably, you know, whoever lost would probably wouldn't be taking it too well. <laughs> want to get into a little bit about player evaluations with you. You know, you, when you were back at LSU, I think you had some ties to a couple of guys that are uh, now playing for the Seattle Seahawks and Damian Lewis and Jamal Adams. Were you there when they were there at LSU? So I remember Jamal, obviously you'd be hard to forget anywhere you go. Uh, but I remember Jamal, I think I was there 2014. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't there long. It was a cup of coffee. I was just an intern. Um, but I remember seeing him as a freshman uh, I believe he early enrolled or I might've saw him in the fall, but um, the one thing that stood out was just how vocal he was from day one. Uh, he didn't look like he was 18 years old. He looked like somebody that had been in that locker room uh, for three years. And then obviously that's, that's why he, he is where he is on top of being an all pro player. I mean, he's got unbelievable uh, leadership skills and he's obviously very vocal, but um, he was definitely a presence from day one, from the moment you saw him. Walk me through a little bit of, uh, you know, just while you were at Washington, you know, uh, tell me a little bit about how this evaluation process is done. I know there's camps involved. I know there's a lot of film. I know that there's a lot of late nights with cups of coffee, but uh, maybe just, you know, like maybe a guy that you just find out about, you know, can you walk me through the evaluation process a little bit and how the mechanics of that work? Yeah, sure. So it's it's pretty meticulous. I mean, obviously, there's um, a lot of different ways and resources how we come across names uh, and new prospects and how we generate that list. You know, the one thing that I always respected uh, about Washington, which was a really big learning curve for me individually coming from the SEC and the Big Ten, and really nobody does it like Washington, maybe Northwestern uh, and a handful of other schools. But um, 
it was a really thorough process. You know, I think the, the one big thing that kind of stood out is obviously that these guys uh, have to fit what we do from a tangible standpoint. And then we kind of get into the in, intangibles, you know, talk about a little bit about the wiring and that's just, Hey, what's between the ears. What's the, what's the background of the player? Um, obviously understanding um, where they are and uh, how they came up. And that's important, you know, and, and, really the environment that we had and coach Pete had was a challenging environment and it wasn't, it's not for everybody. Um, you know, and what I respected about that, Pete was very upfront with that. Um, you know, so I think at the end of the day, there's a, there's a lot of things that go into it. Obviously there's the camp exposure, there's the spring eval, uh, there's being able to see these guys in person, uh, not only just playing football, but playing other sports as well. Um, so to, to answer this question, obviously there's a lot of things going into it. I think our job in that, in that process, really you're starting their freshman, sophomore year, you're just collecting as many data points as possible. Um, not only from a physical metric, not only from a production metric, uh, but you know, who are these kids? What are they about? And what are they, what are they trying to accomplish? What position do you think, I mean, I want to follow this up, but, you know, just throw out a position that you enjoyed, you know, taking a look at film. Give me one position. I think offensive line. Um, it's such a developmental position. It's such a projection-based position. So I think like, when, you know, when we talk about data points and not just data points, but, you know, understanding, okay, what, what's the mental makeup? I mean, you think of Nick Harris and obviously Nick enrolled in school before I got here, but what a story that was. You know, Nick had one offer. I believe it was New, New Hampshire. Uh, you know, ends up coming to Washington, starts in a playoff game against Alabama and Jonathan Allen uh, in 2016 as a freshman. You know, um, so not only do you have to be physically capable at some point, but um, to be able to put all of that on a freshman uh, still from a processing standpoint is a lot too. So I enjoy that position a lot. Got to, you know, I, I took a took a look at, Washington's class last night and you know ironically enough the the Parker Brailsford from Saguaro in Arizona I mean he's he's really interesting it's um you know I, I know why Scott Huff likes him he's a, he's a versatile guy you see him play all positions uh all five positions on the offensive line guy can do a lot of different things he moves very very well um but those type of guys you know the more they can do the higher the floor is um so I enjoy offensive line. I could have just said offensive line and left it at that, but <laughs> it was Jackson ago. was Jackson Kirkland one of your guys? So Kirkland was not. Kirkland was not. But I it, another one, you know, I, I wouldn't think he'd be uh playing when he did as early as he did and and now to see his evolution and see him at tackle, it's really been something. Tell me what you look at. You know, you break you you know, you look at an offensive line film, what are you looking for? I think the first thing you, you always look for is size, right? I mean, um, you look for size, you look for growth potential. But the the other thing other than that, athleticism, obviously, bend, flexibility. You know, we talk about reactionary athleticism. All that really is, it's just quickness, agility, balance. You know, so I think the biggest thing is you're looking for, to break it down pretty simply, is you're looking for the size and athleticism traits uh, and really you want these guys at a spot where they can grow into their frame. Um, you know, so if they're around 285, 290 is offensive tackle going into their senior year. I mean, by the time, um, they'll get to that first game, uh, 
just go as a freshman, just through going through summer workouts, he'll probably be just over 300 pounds. So, uh, and that's good. You want them to, you want them to grow into that. And the reason for that is just so they can maintain their athleticism. I remember being at a camp and uh, one of the scouts, this is way back in the day, he did some NFL stuff. He worked with uh, coach Jim Lambright, but he was asking me about a guy and he goes, well, can he play or not? And I go, I don't know. And he goes, is he big? Is he fast? Can he play football? Is he going to hit somebody in the mouth? It's not that damn hard, Kim. (laughs) Does it come down to that sometimes? He's either a player or he's not. Yeah. I mean, Look, I think the biggest thing is you got to turn on the film and say, okay, there's something with this guy. Uh, And then everything from there is just supplemental. You know, I think the more you know about a player, it's just, it's checks and balances. It's more of a safety net. Uh, And the more you find out that's good, the more conviction that you have on a player, the more that you find out that's questionable, you have to go back and make sure you're asking the right questions and find the answers to those questions. Um, so as simple as it is, you know, the, the good thing about nowadays is there's so much information available. Um, so the guys that really, you know, are successful in the NFL and the guys that are successful in the college, there's so many data points now on what that looks like and what a successful player looks like. You'd be a fool not to look at that information uh, and marry that up with the game tape. You know, I think one of the things that gets lost in, you know, recruiting, especially with fans that are covering, you know, taking a look and following it all the time, they tend to look at the stars and they take a look at the rating. But the one thing that, you know, they, a lot of them just don't take into account, and I think it's huge, and that's fit. Does it fit what you do? Does it fit the offense? Does it fit the defense? Does it fit the locker room? Does it fit what you guys are going to do on and off the field? Talk a little bit about fit. Yeah, you know, Pete used to say when the when the fit is correct, that's when the magic happens. Um, you know, and it was funny. I think Pete and I had a little bit of push pull. You know, at Alabama, it was just height, weight, speed, athleticism. You know, when I came to Washington, you know, he, he threw that F word out a lot. It was about fit. Um, you know, but fit means a lot of different things. They they got to fit the program from a cultural standpoint uh, and from a relenting uh, standard. Um, but they also have to be able to play the game. That's that's what we do, right? I mean, at the end of the day, we're, we're trying to win football games. And to do that, you have to have the best athletes. So um, finding the best athletes who also fit your culture can also present a little bit of a challenge. So, um, you know, but that fit, obviously, that's that's it's it's hard to do. It's hard to find the guys that have everything that you want from a physical skill set standpoint that still fit what you want to do. But um, you know, that's, <laughs> that was our job. I'm going to find out how much of coach Pete rubbed off on you, because if there's one thing that made coach Pete crazy, and I always did, it always made him just absolutely crazy. And that was asking him about guys, right? <laughs> so, you know, tell mm-hmm. me, tell me about some guys that maybe jumped out on film at Washington while you were there that really impressed you. Yeah. I mean, no, no shocker here, you know, Trey McDuffie, we loved him for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, but he was a guy who played at, Servite transferred to Bosco and he did everything. You know, I think the one knock on him with it was his size. He ended up being five, ten and a half when he was coming out. Um, but he did everything. I mean, he played running back, he played receiver, uh, he could play every position in the in the secondary corner, he was a nickel, he could play safety. Um, he was also a very dynamic return man in the punt and the kick return game. So if there was a question about his size, he overcompensated with everything else. And then on top of that, uh, very good track and field prospect as well. 
I think he was a 10, 8, 900 meter guy. And then he ran well when he tested. So, and then on top of that, you know, you're, you're going head to head with Stanford, right? So um, the makeup with him, the character with him was off the charts. Uh, it's one of those rare guys that, you know, when you're evaluating, uh, that's, you know, that's, that's a can't miss prospect for a lot of different reasons. Um, not only with what he can do all, on the field, but who he was off the field. Uh, you know, similar, similar to Elijah Molden. Um, you know, another guy I would probably say Roma Dunze was a personal favorite of mine um, for a lot of different reasons. You know, he was sitting there at Bishop Gorman. He had some, he had some offers. You know, I think Oklahoma was in on him early, um, but he was productive, man. I mean, he was he was six two and a half. He was over 180 pounds, and he ran like a gazelle. I mean, he was another guy that tested extremely well. Uh, was a mid four five five guy. Uh, excuse me, mid four five guy. I think he ran a four five five. He had a great shuttle time, and, and like I said, all the metrics were there. But on top of it, he was extremely productive in a very competitive league at Bishop Gorman. Um, so I know we felt extremely fortunate, and I thought that was a great uh, identification evaluation. Junior Adams did an unbelievable job with him, um, and I'm looking forward to to see what he can really do uh, in his future at Washington. One of the guys, I don't remember the context, your name came up and um, he said, that's my guy. Cooper's my guy. And that was Sam Heward. <laughs> <laughs> tell, tell people a little bit, bit about Sam Heward. I, obviously, you've got a relationship with him and you've looked at his film. Yeah, he's a dude, man. I mean, like what I love about the kid, he's still a kid. And I think he's got to remember that sometimes, but like whatever it is, he's got that to him in terms of the personality. I mean, like, and you can tell, like he, he's played that position. And obviously I think there's a, a certain amount of confidence that comes with the Hewitt lineage. I mean, his dad's no different. Got a good relationship with Damon and Damon's awesome, man. I mean, both of those guys, they just have a presence. Now I think Sam's going to have to grow into that. I think this year is going to be really good for him. I'm excited to, to hopefully see him on the field. But I think in terms of having a guy who's extremely talented and, you know, Sam is, is obviously going to play at a really high level for Washington at some point in his career, but that matches that with that confidence. I mean, you can't teach that, right? We all want it, but you can't teach it. You know, like you are who you are. There's limitations on who, who you are to some extent. Um, so to have that at the quarterback position and that project, onto the rest of the team. I think that's really special. And he's, he's a special kid uh, and he just drips confidence. And I think that's exactly what that team needs. And I think he's going to be really good for that locker room. I want you to critique my scouting report that I gave Damon when I saw him at a camp and you can critique my, uh, my talent evaluation. Okay. I, I told his dad after seeing him, I said, he's not talented. And his dad said, what do you mean? He's not talented. I said, he's not talented. I said, he's gifted. There's a difference. Right. Yeah. He's, um, you know, it's funny. I mean, in the, in that offense, they throw the ball, I mean, over, over 50 times a game, it seems like, you know, so he's a little susceptible uh, to the mistake every now and then and we'll have to clean that up. But I think it's, you know, it's going to be interesting seeing him going from that spread offense to a, a really pro uh, style downhill offense. I think that things will open up play action wise for him. I think the footwork is probably going to be, uh, the biggest thing that he's going to have to uh, settle into uh, with that offense, just going under center. But 
I'm excited about him, man. He's like I said, he's a great kid. I think he's a really good fit there. All he's ever wanted to do since he was a baby is put on that uniform, and that that certainly means something to him. And just being able to talk to his dad and Brock and Dan Marino, Tom Brady, and you know uh, Joe Montana. It's not a bad call list to call when you're running into problems when you don't want to talk to dad. That's exactly right. Okay, picture this: it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about, you know, recruiting nuances. You know, you spent some time at Cincinnati with Luke Fickle, Alabama, LSU, Michigan, Washington, Oregon. You know, maybe give a little bit of nuance. You know, what's the difference in recruiting at those different schools? And it just seems like, you know, we've been doing this since 1997 and it just continues to evolve. Can you talk a little bit about the nuances, you know, just how the different schools recruit and what the heck's going on out there right now? Sure. You know, I think every, every place is different. Um, but I think to understand it better from a regional standpoint, you know, I think the SEC, it was a, excuse me, it was a, it was a great place for me to start my career, especially at Alabama, just with the urgency that went into recruiting day in and day out in terms of the thoroughness of the evaluation process. And, you know, I think the one thing that's different from the SEC and, and, and the PAC you know, game days are huge down there. And I mean that from like a uh, recruiting standpoint, you know, you'll have um, a massive number uh, of recruits on campus. So uh, I think um, in respect to that, you're going to have larger staffs in terms of support staff. So always remember that coming from Alabama, the guys that we had on unofficial visits, it was a lot to account for where I think it's a little bit more concentrated uh, in places like Washington or Michigan. Uh, where you can really, okay, be a little bit more strategic uh, because you know who's coming. Um, and it's not this really wide arranging group of, of prospects. But, um, you know, from the Big Ten, I mean, I guess from a player evaluation standpoint, you know, I mean, um, there was no lack of, of talent, uh, certainly in the Southeast. I think in the Midwest, you kind of get the developmental uh, offense and defensive linemen on both sides of the line of scrimmage. I think that's where Wisconsin, Iowa, those type of schools do a really good job. And I think out West, there's a true lack of bigger bodies. So those those bigger bodies on both sides of the line of scrimmage, on offensive line and on defensive line, those guys come at a premium. Um, you know, so I think that's really a true arms race out West. I mean, that's why Washington, certainly Oregon has put an emphasis on both sides of the line of scrimmage. And you know, that's certainly Washington's advantage this year with their offensive line that they got coming back. So, um, you know, I would say from regionally, you start to kind of pick up on those things a little more. It's like, okay, there's four or five guys that we've targeted on this position group at offensive line on the West Coast that really fit what we're looking for and are within our, our regional boundaries. After that, like five through eight, that's a big drop off. You know, so I think that's there's a lot more urgency when your board's a little bit smaller from a from a prospect standpoint. And for Washington's standpoint, since they're so high and their standards so high for character and background, that board shrinks a little bit more, too. So obviously there's a lot more urgency 
uh, with going out and, and identifying your top targets and being able to reel those guys in. You know, before uh, Coach Pete got here, it seemed like Washington was constantly competing with USC, UCLA, um, Arizona State, and schools like that. But uh, when Coach Pete got here, it seemed like Washington's main recruiting battles would occur with Stanford, Notre Dame, and Oregon. Can you just talk a little bit about, you know, those battles and what differentiates, you know, those schools from each other? Sure. Yeah, you know, I think – that's really interesting. I think the the Stanford battle was always fascinating uh, for us. Um, you know, you just knew the guys that really prioritized academics. Uh, and then there was guys that were like, they were academic guys, but they also love football. And we felt like, and this is not a slight at Stanford, we felt like we really positioned ourselves well for those guys. Um, the guys that still wanted to come get a really good education, be developed, have a chance to play in the NFL. And I thought that head to head battle at Stanford, we did a really good job chipping into that um, back in, in, in the last two years with coach Pete. Um, and then the Notre Dame battle was kind of fascinating. You know, it was always coach Lake that ended up finding this himself in a head to head battle. And I don't think he's ever lost one uh, in terms of head to head when he was a position coach. Um, he did a, he did a phenomenal job, you know, um, Kyler Gordon was before I got here. I know that was a head to head, you know, the one that I remember the most was, was Asa Turner. Um, you know, and then the thing with Oregon was those programs are so different, you know, Washington and Oregon are so different in terms of what they do and how they do it. You know, we felt like, okay, if a guy really wanted to go to Oregon, then that's probably not our fit. You know, and that that was just the case. I mean, they were drastically different in terms of approach, in terms of recruiting, uh, in terms of what Oregon uh, was pitching and what Washington was pitching. It was it was totally different. Um, and that's not a slight at Oregon, you know, to each their own. Um, but we felt like, OK, if, if a guy said, all right, I'm more interested in what Washington's selling, um, you know, we were we were selling two separate two separate, uh, pitches, you know? So, um, you know, like I felt like we got into it more head to head with Stanford and Notre Dame than we ever really did with Oregon. How big is the Nike deal? I mean, not just for Washington, but you, you know, Oregon's going with USC and some of the national guys. How big is that Nike influence down at Oregon? I think it is, but in the same way, in the same vein, I think it's a little, um, you know, I, I think it's a, a little overestimated, quite honestly. I think Coach Cristobal does an, an amazing job in terms of recruiting. Um, he's extremely passionate. Uh, that's something that uh, is very important to him. Um, and it's very personal to him. And, and he holds his staff accountable all the way through, top to bottom. So um, I think he does a tremendous job. And I, I wouldn't want to be taking away any credit for him from him and the job that that he does in terms of recruiting, but certainly it is like, I, I, I mean, like you talk about like the initial um, ability to be able to grab recruits attention, right? If I'm trying to recruit player X from East of Texas, that's going to be a big deal for him, you know, and that might be what gets them up to campus. That's not going to be what gets them to sign their name on the dotted line, you know? So there's a lot of work, uh, that needs to get done before uh, that time 
when they get to campus before they sign. And I, I, I do in part um, do think it's a really big deal in terms of being able to make the initial impression uh, and attract these guys to, to come to campus to come check it out. And then from there, it's all it's all on the staff. From what you saw, you know, just, you know, what are the top couple, what are the top two reasons recruits wind up at a school that they wind up at more often than not? Relationships, you know, I think first and foremost, I think that's, that's the biggest deal. I mean, you got to have a relationship with your position coach, your coordinator and your head coach, you know, so if you're tied into all three of those guys, you know, that's going to be a really big deal. And then I think strategy, you know, in terms of not the recruit, but the staff understanding the prospect and their family or the decision makers and understanding that not every recruits the same, you know, one recruit might be looking to play early. That's really big part for him. Another recruit just wants to make sure that he's getting the exposure that he needs from an academic, from a, a, a academic level, from a, a coaching development level, you know, so everybody's different. Um, and I think, you know, when you take a look back and, and you really say, hey, you know, how do we recruit player X over player Y? You can't recruit everybody the same. You know, you got to say, OK, what's different about this guy? And what is he looking for? And really the best ones, the best recruiters, position coaches, coordinators, head coaches, they're the ones that listen, in my opinion. And then they take that feedback and they find a way to say, OK, how do we really grab this person's attention about what we want and how do we put a plan together and envision him in our program and put him in the best position to succeed. Yeah, a couple more questions and then uh, we'll let you get back to your cup of coffee and watching film because I'm sure that's what you're doing all day. <laughs> that's exactly it. Quite honestly, I'm staring at my, my Starbucks coffee right now. That's about three hours old and I got a bunch of tape staring me down as well. What's Washington selling? What I mean, what's Washington selling to recruits? That question's come up quite a bit, you know, especially with the NIL and everything changing, you know, but uh, I mean, if you were to capsulize, you know, what is it Washington's selling to recruits right now? Sure. You know, and I, I couldn't tell you in, in regards to, to what has changed since I've been there, but what I would imagine is, you know, great education. You'd be silly not to sell that. I think the city uh, of Seattle, um, and the opportunities and it's going to take the right type of person and individual that's going to be attracted to that. Um, but in terms of the opportunities to work in, in that city and what they can offer in terms of uh, working in tech, uh, I think that's in Amazon and all these companies that are mentioned and based out of there. Um, and then on top of that, obviously the built for life program uh, that I know coach Lake is, is still obviously um selling that as well. And that's, that's a great program um, with a lot of results behind it, proven results. So, and then on top of that, I would have to say development, you know, they've done a really good job of putting players in the league. You look at last year, Joe Tryon, Levi Anzarike, Elijah Molden, um, with the latter two being highly recruited um, out of high school and, and Joe being a guy that they kind of added late in the process and were able to develop. And um, he ended up being a guy that was taken you know, on day one of the NFL drafts. So I think there's a lot to sell there in the packaging there. You know, I think the biggest thing wherever you go, it's just being consistent um, and having a game plan and understanding and being very selective with your words uh, and know that every conversation is a chance to uh, sell your program and, and move the needle. No matter what program, well, give me, give me a couple of guys that just when you were watching tape just blew you away. 
You know, one guy I think back to, I mean, but I'll just go from my time in Washington, Brew McCoy uh, was a guy I thought, you know, what was interesting about him is that he played both ways in modern day and he was a receiver and he was a really good receiver, but I thought he could have been an elite edge guy, you know, for a three, four team. He would have been perfect. He probably would have been like 245 pounds if he could get up to that. Um, but he was, he was smooth. He had an explosive first step. And I, I haven't seen anybody still to this day that could bend the edge the way that he could. Um, you know, I think the other one uh, was a tackle, uh, the left tackle that Sean Ryan at UCLA uh, was another guy that was just day one ready. You didn't see a lot of guys like that uh, on the West Coast. Uh, Apu Ika, uh, who's now at Baylor, ended up going to LSU. You know, those are the type of guys that kill you you know, cause they just don't grow on trees. And it's like, there's not a lot of these guys on the West coast, you know, so when you keep those guys there, those are rare dudes. So I think those three, obviously, you know, going to the, going to the big bodies. Um, but those are the three guys that stick out that come to the top of my head. What do you miss about Seattle? I love the city. You know, I lived in, I lived in Ballard. It was unbelievable. I mean, it was good music scene, great restaurants. You know, it's so different for me coming from New Orleans and New Orleans within itself is just such a unique city. So I, I appreciated that about Seattle. Was, Seattle is was the first place I ever lived during my career that I just call an NFL city. You know, I'd lived in Tuscaloosa. I'd lived in Ann Arbor, you know, and then uh, Cincinnati. I lived, you know, I didn't really get to enjoy much of the city, but um Seattle was great. I mean, it was perfect for the time of my life. I was in my mid twenties at a great job and enjoyed it so much and uh, really enjoyed being out there. It's really, really beautiful, uh, but just a really unique place. I just think and being a young guy in your twenties, you're working at university of Washington for coach Pete and living in Ballard. That ain't oh, a bad, yeah. That ain't a bad gig coop. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah. I got me in some trouble sometimes, but it was a good spot. Yeah, well, we all got to do that. By the way, how was Marshall Malco? I know he was a real important part of what Washington did when Coach Pete brought him in. Is he at Texas A&M right now? He's at Texas A&M. Yeah, man, he's he's doing well. Um, A&M, I think, is going into his second year over there. So they're doing a phenomenal job. You know, he's kind of just bringing that um, what they did at Georgia, what he's done at Alabama, what he did at Washington. Um, they're recruiting now up to the standard that Texas A&M should be recruiting. He's done an impressive job. He's one of the best in the industry. I know that uh, Scott Woodward likes to give those big, long contracts. Hopefully Marshall got one of those while he was at Texas A&M. Let's <laughs> <laughs> hope so. Hey, Cooper, uh, you know, just before I let you go, just tell people a little bit about what you're going to be doing at 24-7 Sports. Sure. So as a national uh, recruiting analyst, I'll be doing a lot of different things. I'm Excited to do uh, stuff like this and talk with you, Cam. And obviously, you know, spending so much time in, on the West Coast the last three years, I've, I've really enjoyed this and getting to know you guys. So hopefully we'll be out here some and interacting with you guys and, and the fans as well. But um, I'll be, you know, really kind of overseeing, not myself, uh, but along with another team and uh, big help with the regional guys and some of the other national guys, uh, you know, will be helping with, uh, the recruiting rankings overseeing that process. Uh, and then on top of that, doing a little bit of writing, which I'm looking forward to uh, really kind of adding that to my repertoire and then uh, podcasts and then doing some TV spots as well. Uh, really breaking down commitments as they come in 
uh, and kind of really given a good idea of, of what each of these programs are adding with all their classes and all these players that they're bringing in. Coop, I appreciate you jumping on with this. I'm, I'm thinking, God, I'm probably only going to have 10 minutes with those guys, and I take you for, what, 40 minutes or so? So, <laughs> All good, man. My pleasure. I enjoy right. this. Anytime, man. Anytime you want to have me back, I, I enjoy these conversations. Cooper Patagna, National Recruiting Analyst for 24-7 Sports. Just keep an eye. He'll be working hard. Thanks, Kim. now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.